Welcome to this edition of Pipeline Things. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, we get real on the subject of MFLA. And my boy, Christopher DeLeon, talks a little bit about limitations, some of which even you may not be aware of. Thanks again for joining us, and we appreciate you. Remember, like and subscribe. They made this look a lot easier on the Super Bowl. of Pipeline Things. I'm your host, Thing 20, known as Rep Dotson, and my co-host, again, not lesser in prominence than stature, but definitely less funny, Thing 21, Mr. Christopher DeLeon, and welcome to the show about all things Pipeline related, where we hope to do a little bit of education, a little bit of humor, even someone like maybe your mom, if she's not in the Pipeline industry, can get something from today's episode. My mom episode. still not listen to it. it that is disappointing. You've had three episodes now. But I've had multiple cousins listen to it. Hey, that's that's pretty good. My mom has listened to it, and I don't think I've had any of my cousins listen They've to it. They've also now applied for jobs in Pipeline. They were like, if you guys are in Pipelines, I You guys can have this much fun, so yeah. you too can aspire to be part <laughs> of the Pipeline industry. And maybe one day work your way onto the Pipeline Things podcast. As Chad Zammerman would say, you we, know, no, no, we need to attract talent in the pipeline industry we had so. a we had, we had follow-up yeah. we had some homework from last week's episode we did. did you contact morgan freeman this producer has he better yet has he responded i saw he was on a commercial in the in the super bowl yeah. which i, I didn't about. i didn't even i honestly i didn't even see the hashtag morgan freeman so he could like while he's on his downtime mm. looking to see who hashtags him we could have done that. Yeah, okay, so Morgan right. Freeman's not only okay. this producer's giving us the I think this when they do this symbol, I don't think Nisha wants to kill us. I think she means it's supposed to stop. Yeah, so so last time we were talking about like our favorite parts of the year, right? Oh and I said and I said we had at least two favorite. The Yours first one was, was Christmas. Christmas. Rodeo. And now the Wait, the, nec the next best. You have Can we take guess? Do you want to guess? What do you think there, is third best? There's a there's a third favorite Miss season. Producer? Come on, what do you think it is? Got, got an idea? Are birthday? You about the Super Bowl? No! Oh, God, Super Bowl? God, Crawfish no. season! Come on, Crawfish guys! Season. Crawfish season! Okay! Like, this is when you get to pay like $10 a pound for mud bugs and. $10 and, and a pound, fun. but it's probably even more expensive by the time you only get half of the thing out and you spend like 20 minutes getting that half of the thing out, right? Yeah. So, Super Bowl, did you watch the halftime show? Dude, I did watch the halftime show, and apparently I'm in the minority. I, I loved it. It was good. It, probably, it was nostalgic for me, right? So, yeah. um, Can you name all of the rappers or the artists that were in the halftime show? See, why are you going to put them on a spot like that, right? <laughs> okay, so there was, all right, let's do it, let's do it. There, there, was, there was Dr. Dre, there was Ding. Snoop Dogg, Ding. Eminem, Ding. Mary J. Blige, Ding. Kendrick Lamar, Ding. and 50 Cent. <laughs> That's six. Good job. Good job. <laughs> good job. <laughs> I'm glad you caught Kendrick Lamar. I thought uh, they were gonna have to put like a little one of those pop-ups that says who people, each rapper uh, was. People, for... people told me about him. To be honest, I didn't know who he was on the show. I'm like, who is this guy? And yeah. so, uh, fortunately, I have people who listen to Kendrick Lamar, and they were like, "It's Kendrick Lamar." Yeah, stay humble. Yeah. So that's one of his songs. I know you're getting sit down. I, I get it. <laughs> Oh, uh, now that we've effectively lost um, half of our listeners, half of our listeners, the people that were upset at the Super Bowl halftime show, have now tuned out. Um, but you know, before the uh, Super Bowl halftime show, there was also PPIM, and we have not had a chance to to recap PPIM. Yeah. So uh, impressions from this year's PPIM show? What'd you think? Um, great. 
uh, to see everybody again. I think that uh, we did a pretty good job of being present and it was nice. It, it was really awesome. So cheers to all the exhibitors who made an effort to go out and all the operators and, and interested parties to participate, come by the boots and say hi and have a good time. You know, so uh, one of the things we probably need to do is explain to everyone out there. So when we say PPIM, that's four letters in quick succession again, that's the Pipeline Pigging and Integrity Management Conference. Happens every year in Houston and this was, it's a 34th year actually. And uh, like most conferences, you know, it's been a real challenge. But I think the the, the folks at Clarion and yeah. BJ Lowe, uh, really shout out, kudos to you guys. Y'all did a great job. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important uh, for us as vendors on our side really to be back supporting that. I mean, it really yeah. felt good to see people back together interacting again. Uh, I mean, it feels like, you know, we had like a lost year or two yeah. in the pipeline industry where we didn't really see why, people. Why do you think it's so important? What's one of the aspects of it that you think is so important about PPI and, and other type conferences? Honestly, straight up, yeah. relationships. Mm -hmm. Bar none, right? I, I, I don't think it matters what industry you're in, but I don't, and I don't think it's unique to the pipeline industry. Relationships matter, right? And in order to preserve relationships with people, with interact, to, to, to preserve relationships with people, you have to interact with them, Chris. You gotta have a conversation with them. Yeah. And you get the chance to go there and talk. You find out what's going on in their, in their lives a lot of times. Yeah. And then you also find out what's going on professionally, yeah. right? So one of the things I like is also the papers uh, are very down to earth, boots on the ground type papers sure. a lot of times that you find. And I find it personally educational. So yeah. what about you? Why did, why did you want to be there? I think relationships are important, but it's also when you get to reestablish that level of trust with your network, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of the things we always advocate is ask for help. And uh, normally you call the people that you trust. So I think it creates an environment for you to, to reconnect with your network and, and reinstill that level of trust in the people you work with. And then the second one, which is a, a very near and dear uh, topic to my heart, is it's um, lessons learned, industry lessons learned, right? So a lot of these mm. papers or presentations are based on um, something that has happened and they want to communicate yep. for the greater good. Hey guys, this is what we're doing. This is what we learned. How can you take advantage or learn from this, right? Because it's it's one pipeline industry. You know, and that's something I think that's a, a challenge sometimes is if you miss a conference and most of us don't have enough time to just sit down and read all of the conference proceedings. Yeah. We're probably lucky if we can scrub through the abstracts, right? And just yeah. get through that. Um, you can really miss sometimes what are really great lessons learned. Um, so I don't know uh, which paper stuck out to you, but I had one that stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, and that was the exceeding performance standards of pipeline integrity it was actually a uh, inspection. That title is long, so I'm gonna yeah. boil it down. Yeah. It was TC Energy and okay. Baker Hughes, and they were talking about how they use data analytics and the result from a whole bunch of excavations to improve the performance of ILI technology, specifically MFL-based ILI technology. And, and the reason I like that paper, Chris, for me, is we, MFL, and the use of MFL precedes you and I both being born, right? I mean, we have been using Are MFL. Are you sure? You got yes. some, you've got a lot of grays now, but I do it's, have a lot it's of gray, creeping but into it's, your eyebrows. It's, it's misleading. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be self-conscious about that now. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna have to get like one of the eyebrow pens and start drawing it. I can't believe you said that. My gosh, receding hairline! Listen, now I didn't say receding hairline. That's on you. Before you know, I'll be with a mortician. And okay, so, so MFL's been around since the seventies or eighties, right? Yes, I think it's, it's been the seventies. It is. It's been almost like fifty years, right? and we are still learning about MFL technology, right? right? 
And actually, what I thought was a was kind of unique about this is when you think about the MFL technology, lessons learned. And, and this paper actually wasn't on the basis of a failure, which is nice. It was yeah. just purely around using data analytics. But this isn't the first time that TC Energy and Baker Hughes have partnered to write a paper that mm -hmm. I thought was pretty good. One that yeah. you and I have often talked about with operators and I yep. feel like flew under the radar yep. was actually an IPC paper from 2012. Yep. Um, do you happen to know the name of that paper? Or do I you don't, want me to give I, it to I, you? I don't. I just remember the, sub the subject was dealing with uh, complex corrosion as a result. I think it was a 2009 failure that TC Energy had where yep. they were surprised yep. that they had inspected the line a couple of times with MFL technology. How many? Do you remember how many times? Nine? Yes! Oh! Yeah, <laughs> ding, ding, I mean, ding, ding, like, ding. it had a lot of it. It was shocking. It was a shocking number of yeah. inspections that for a line in 2009 they had had. The yeah. paper that we're actually talking about here for the audience, if you want to look it up, is IPC 2012-90529. And that, the paper title is Overcoming yep. Technical Limitations in Identifying and Characterizing Critical Complex Corrosion. Yeah. Really long title. So we're not going to go through this That was paper. a decade ago. It was a decade ago in 2012, which is, but look, we've had multiple conversations with operators, Chris, and yep. very few people are aware of what this paper talks about or what yep. lessons I would say both TC Energy and Baker Hughes lost or yep. learned. Yep. And given the importance of MFL technology to our industry, I mean, corrosion is the oldest known threat acting on pipelines. It's the one we have the most experience in. And so given, MFL is critical to our industry. So I think this is yeah. a good topic for this show. All right. So I, I, that's what I want to jump in, right? And, and I, want to, I want to boil it down for the operators. I want to give them a little, or for the people that are out there, give you a little bit of background on this paper. Chris has already alluded to it. TC Energy has a failure around 2009 due to what they labeled as complex corrosion. Yeah. The real concern was how on earth we've inspected this pipeline. We're going nine times. Yeah. How did we miss this feature in our, in our corrosion growth assessments with the repeat inspections? If we're going to know a line, we should have known this line and we missed the feature. Yeah. So let's start there. But before okay. we do, because I think we're going to get around to the points of this paper, I want to use this as a chance to talk about MFLA, yep. ILI. Those are two terms. I want you to please define them for the audience Sure. and then let's go through it. So let's start with ILI. You got it. ILI stands for inline inspection. Right. And we inspect pigs. Again, now I'm going to take a, some of those that are maybe more advanced. Y'all might find this fairly rudimentary. Uh, my mom is going to learn a lot right here. Okay. <laughs> so, ILI. Yes. All pigs are the same? No. Um, typically, it's really important to think of an ILI as uh, an activity. You're inspecting the pipeline inline. But uh, what we use is actually an ILI system. Okay. Right, and an ILI system is a normally a non-destructive testing technique. So it's actually NDT. It's a form of NDT, inline, and inline meaning you've introduced it into your pipeline, mm -hmm. and it's navigating some length of it, and it's performing an inspection. And we call it an ILI system because it comprises of a tool, which you could think of like a mandrel or the the physical part that that's moving through the line. Normally, you'll have some kind of propulsion mechanism, right? So it's either being pulled through some kind of tether, cups to seal for it to move, and uh, the body that you mount all of your sensoric technology. The other part of it is it's what type non-destructive technology are you using, right? I usually like to use, use the term 
measurement principle, right? So what is the measurement principle you're using that you've turned into some kind of sensor technology or sensor mm -hmm. that is performing the inspection? Then you have downstream of that some kind of evaluation protocols on how you're evaluating the data this inline inspection tool has collected. Um, and then you have all the processes and procedures that go along with um, how you prepare the tool to how you inspect it properly to how you evaluate it and how you report it. So all that makes up an ILI system. So layman's terms, we take a highly complex piece of equipment, yep. we stick it in the pipeline, yep. we shoot it down the pipeline, yep. propelled by whatever is in that pipeline in most yep. cases, that has sensors on it that record all sorts of information about the pipeline. Yep. That's the NDE part. Somebody takes a look at that data and determines what is physically going on in your pipeline. Yeah, so that was the NDT part, and then when someone looks at Absolutely. it, that's the NDE part, the non-destructive right, So that's ILI. Yep. Important thing to note there is that not all, and we're talking about smart pig technology here, right? Yep. We're not talking about cleaning pigs, we're talking about smart technology. All right, so now that we've introduced ILI, let's introduce MFL, because that's the technology under concern here. MFL, go. Yep. So MFL stands for Magnetic Flux Leakage. Um, basically what you do is you um, you have a, a steel pipeline and because it's carbon steel if you think about it you can put a magnet on it it'll stick to it and so if you remember the horseshoe basically you have flux lines that nobody are, knows the horseshoe that are going through the line so a horseshoe magnet right imagine you have a magnet okay. in your, your Looney Tunes cartoons, remember my mom's right? listening so Looney Tunes cartoons magnet. horseshoe magnet you put it on a metal basically it's the magnetic flux that draws all yeah. of the attraction right so the idea there is if you put a sensor in between the North Pole and the South Pole, then um, as you you are traversing through the pipeline, if there's not enough material to house or to hold all of the magnetic flux, that magnetic flux will have to go somewhere. It'll leak. And so these mm. sensors will detect how much magnetic flux has leaked from the pipe wall. So the basic principle of it is it's if you have all of your material, you won't have a lot of magnetic flux leakage indications, right? You, it, the sensor won't pick up a lot. But as you have reduced metal or mm. i.e. corrosion, yep. or you have a change in your wall thickness, that flux has to go somewhere. So it leaks and so up. when it leaks, then the sensor picks it up, you get a signal, and then it can be interpreted. Okay, so I'm sensing a theme in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Technical explanation, layman's terms, right? <laughs> So think about it another way. If horseshoe magnets didn't do, because I was thinking like horseshoes, close <laughs> yeah. only works in horseshoes and yeah. hand grenades. Um, that could be the, the thing. Work close only works in horseshoes and hand grenades. We could talk about hand grenades today. Um, all right. Think about it a different way. I like to think about water flowing through a stream, right? Okay. I was a civil engineer. I wasn't electrical and I wasn't mechanical, right? So I didn't like flux. I actually hated that whole course in college. So I like to think about water flowing through a stream, yep. right? And then I look for things to disrupt that water flow. And okay. in this case, like in a stream, it would be like rocks and boulders. Like when we go to Colorado yeah. and whitewater rafting, think about magnetic flux in a pipeline, like the magnetic, Flux is the water flowing through the wall or the steel of the pipeline, and every mm -hmm. time it hits a corrosion pit or missing metal, it gets disrupted and flows out around it. And we're yep. looking for those disruptions in the water flow. Yeah. So whichever option works for you, we should have asked. So it's a good our point. Producers, no, 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 no. So, so that, that's a good point. So if you think about it, so MFL actually um, is um, comes in at least three classes right now. Three classes. Yeah. So it's MFL A, MFL C, or uh, there's another tool out there which is S. Right. right. So A stands for actually oriented magnetic mm -hmm. flux, which goes along the pipeline, the direction of the flow of your yep. product in your pipeline. C is circumferential. So the magnetic flux is, is traveling 
if think of like clock position, right? So from top of pipe to bottom of pipe back around. And then you have S, which stands for spiral, where it's going at an oblique angle. Right. And the reason why that matters is because the orientation of the flux, the magnetic flux, will be a big part of what type of metal loss features you'll be able to find. Right, so you're jumping into, I think, the next critical part of this paper, right? So now we hopefully, if you're in there in the audience, you kind of understand the basic premise behind magnetic flux leakage as a means to identify, uh, let's say, metal loss characteristics in the pipe, right? That's an important jumping point because every technology has limitations. And MFL has limitations, right? So let's talk about, and they really hit on them pretty well in this paper. Um, I'm gonna give them to you. Okay, go ahead. And let's talk. Um, so first limitation, was local pits within larger pits. Sure. So I want to describe what that is, right? So in this particular paper, it was assigned due to MIC, which is microbial induced corrosion. Yep. But think about we have a large area of metal loss, mm -hmm. and then within that area, we've got a very local, smaller area of metal loss. That goes deeper. That goes deeper, yep. So let's say it's maybe 30% of the wall nominal over a really large patch, and then yep. we've got a little 60% in there in the middle. Yep. Why is that a problem for MFL, Christopher? Sure. Because magnetic flux leakage is a it's a relative measurement, and so the flux lines that leak from the pipe wall are um, going to be detected on a relative scale. So what that means is if you have full wall thickness, that means you'll have a certain reference of how much flux leakage there is. And so when you mm -hmm. get a, a some metal loss or some corrosion, your sensor will pick up that flux leakage. But if there's enough area corroded that that change right because mfl is really good at detecting change it's kind of like um normalization of deviance right you your your baseline normalizes to the new normal mm. and so if you have this huge pit of corro pool of corrosion you saw the initial change but then that kind of becomes the new normal and so if you then have a pit within that larger pool of corrosion you may get some flux leakage there but it's really difficult to say is that 50% deep or 80% deep? Because wow. it's it's um, it's really good at finding change, mm. but because it's relevant, it's relative. Excuse me. It can be difficult to quantify exactly how deep that pit within a larger pool of corrosion and, is. And again, you're saying something here that I think is really important for the audience to understand because yeah. I think the majority of our clients, yeah. um, the majority of people in the pipeline industry, unless you're an MFL specialist, so to speak, believe or interpret that MFL actually takes discrete measurements of the pipe wall. Absolutely right? not. Absolutely so it's, not. So it's the opposite almost of like a UT, a UT. measurement, yes. right? So if you think of this UT probe, you're standing on the outside of the pipe and you have one shot for a very discrete point that you're shooting through the wall thickness, getting a reflection and saying, this is how deep this point is. Very much like how we use our string, right? Or excuse me, um, when you're trying to do a defect assessment of corrosion, right? You do one inch by one inch grids over the area of interest. Mm -hmm. You go into each one inch grid, you take use your UT, and you take a discrete measurement. MFL absolutely does not do that. Right. Whether it's standard resolution, higher resolution, or ultra resolution. It's a relative off of a baseline. Absolutely. And that baseline becomes very important. And yes. if that baseline is impacted, for instance, yeah. it can affect something relative. Yeah. This is a good point for us to take a break because we're only in one of the first three limitations of MFL. So we're going to be right back and talk about the next two. My name is Chris Alexander and I'm president and founder of ADV Integrity and we are the proud sponsors 
of the Pipeline Things podcast led by Rhett Dotson and Christopher DeLeon. In that podcast, they're gonna be talking about things like integrity management, uh, pretty much anything related to pipelines, including regulations, technology, and uh, anything that you would need to know. They're also gonna be talking about current events. Um, for those of you that don't know anything about ADV Integrity, we're a consulting company. We do uh, full-scale testing. I'm actually here in the lab and really high-end engineering to serve the pipeline industry. And we would love to hear from you and really excited about being sponsors of the Pipeline Things podcast. All right, welcome back to Pipeline Things. Thank you for the break. And we are picking up in the middle of our discussion on actually the limitations on MFL technology, right? So the yeah. first one we covered was local pits within larger pits. The second one that was in an IPC paper mm -hmm. was gradual wall thinning. Yeah, so that, that alludes to that same challenge, right? And what you're hitting on there is it's because MFL is a relative measurement. If you have this gradual change, then the MFL tool, which is good at detecting change, will struggle to identify how much change has actually occurred over that distance or that time. Right. So that's what they're highlighting. So um, I, I want to say it's another way. Is it true? Like, let's say you had a piece of pipe and the nominal wall thickness of that pipe is actually thinner out of the mill. Mm -hmm. So let's say it was maybe 80% of what it was supposed to be, which would be outside of spec, but sure. it was universally 80%. Yeah. MFL has no way to baseline that, right? Because it's well, an indirect principle. Let's be careful about baselining it. Is it's MFL can approximate what that wall thickness is, hmm. but it won't fully understand what you purchased or what you think you have, gotcha. right? Because it's a measurement. Hmm. So if you thought you had whatever it would be, you know, 250. Yeah, a yeah. 250 wall, and it's actually coming in 80% of that, the MFL tool won't know if you bought 188 wall or 250 wall, right? Because of that, that range tolerance. So it's really important to you as, a, as an operator or whoever's running the project to communicate to the inspection company what wall thicknesses you have there. And then that goes into the whole topic of TVC materials and all that fun stuff. And so the third uh, point that they brought up was corrosion um, within corrosion, right? So, I'm um, sorry, it was actually the interaction of the corrosion sure. pits was the interference is what I meant to go with yeah. there. Right, so talk a little bit about signal interference. What do, what do they mean with that? Um, so I, I don't specifically remember the paper, so if you're looking at the paper and you read Did you prepare it, for the show? I, yeah, I did, but I didn't. I, I gave you the paper a solid 10 that. minutes before the show. <laughs> I mean, there's at least enough time to skim my highlights. Yeah, so. It's because uh, you were still focused on the Super Bowl. Well, look, I'll take it, right? No, go, go ahead. I, yeah, yes. so this one, this one, I go, this goes back to rocks and streams yeah. for me, right? So if you have lots of corrosion pits interacting with one another, yeah. right? Uh, think about water flowing through the stream, right? So if, if, we, if I took a whole bunch of boulders, threw them into a stream, and yeah. then only gave you the velocity profile of that stream and said, here's how fast the water is at each point. Yeah. Tell me how big every single one of the boulders is and where they're located. Yeah. Most people would go, you're crazy. <laughs> There's no way you can do that. That's, yeah, that's what we try to do with MFL, right? Because mm -hmm. the disruption of the signal as it goes around one yeah. metal loss is still disrupted by the time it contacts the next metal loss. Yeah. And if you get too many of those adjacent to each other, it makes it very difficult to get back to, I don't want to use the term baseline because you threw yeah. that one out last time, Yeah. but it makes it very difficult to get back to the reference point to, MFL needs. Yeah, or to turn that signal into something meaningful. Yes, And so you. when I think of the word interference, the reason why I paused a little bit was because, so one way to interpret signal interference between one feature and another is exactly right, is it's, um, the, the, the measurement principle of magnetic flux, it's not instantaneous. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to think about you have this flux line that is either in the material or not, and it doesn't change instantaneously. So you have to think like a little maybe we'll go a little bit electrical here. It's kind of like what we expect an inductor to do. Right. It's to manage instant change. Right. And so the I don't idea think I know what inductors do. I'm sorry. So, and, capacitors so, and so the idea is once it leaks, it doesn't instantly come back into the pipe material if there's mm. enough material for that much for that much magnetic flux and so there is mm, going to be some sure. distance or time from when a flux leaks to when it comes back into the material yeah. and so that's one way of interference so if you had a big feature and you had a lot of flux leakage and then there's a smaller or even larger feature behind it or next to it all of that flux that leaked originally may not be back in the material to provide enough of a signal response in our MFL sensor to detect what that true dimension or characterization of that, like you said, that nearby metal loss feature. Another example is depending on your corrosion morphology, you may have uh, ferromagnetic debris or byproduct Mm -hmm. of the corrosion mechanism. And so that could also be um, magnetic flux um, conducting, I guess, where, where basically you have a true corrosion feature which can't bear the stress or the load but it kind of tricks the MFL tool in thinking that it's not as deep as it actually is because the debris um, has magnetic properties in it. So those are two ways of thinking about interference. There's, again, MFL sounds simple on the outside, but it's actually a fairly complex process. When I take a look at this, it's to be honest, it's amazing that we as an industry have vendors and technology as good as we do. It's impressive technology. Yeah, well, I I, I, want to jump in on that. One reason why that could be that we've had so much success with MFL tools, and let's be very specific. I think mostly what we're talking about is MFL A. Uh, I think for the purposes of today's episode, yeah, it's 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 mostly MFL A. And the reason why we've been so successful, I think, is because it's not just the inspection that matters, right? And Mm -hmm. and the characterization of it, but it's the fact of what we do with that data. And I think that it's fair to say that in most cases, um, the majority of the efforts on how we respond to MFL data as an inspection, as it relates to integrity, is it's it normally has focused around um, ASME uh, B31G calculations yep. and modified B31G calculations, which only take two inputs into account Leave to determine up. a burst pressure. Exactly. And so if you're really just looking, you have this big pool of corrosion and you're just looking for its, abs- its length, which we then use interaction rules on, which can be conservative, and you're looking for a depth then as long as the MFL tool with, with pretty decent confidence can find where's that deepest pit, then you're gonna do a pretty good job of keeping pipe round, sound in the ground. So um, again, I wanna go back, I wanna just real quickly hit this, right? So when we talk about corrosion, we talk about complex corrosion, we talk about lengthy areas of corrosion, lots of missing material from the pipe, yeah. localized pits within that broader area, yeah. MFL is going to struggle. That was identified back in 2009. Yeah. So let's be clear. It will struggle to characterize each of the individual, individual features yes. within the pool of corrosion. Back to yes. your rocks in the stream. It could find the biggest rock in the stream, Yep. but it can struggle to find the size of all the rocks in the stream. Agreed. And I, and I think depending on how you're using that data, which you hit on, means that that data could either be effective or yeah. potentially ineffective. Right. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, I think complex corrosion, lots of corrosion, isn't a threat that's just, you know, completely unheard of in our industry. Yeah. And we're aware of operators that are not aware that in complex corrosion, long, deep things, mm-hmm. this is a challenge. 
So yeah. um, as we as we move towards the next talk, I want to talk about what they learned in here because I think the lessons learned for operators mm -hmm. are really important. And let's talk about that, right? Yeah. So uh, first, I think it was easy. I don't want to spend a lot of time. They said focus on deeper corrosion, yep. and they said sixty-five percent. So they had a, a, a kind of a robust process yeah. where anything over sixty-five percent, they instructed the vendor to put extra attention towards. Yes, and um, I think that's that's good just in general, and I think that goes towards operators using again this concept of very. Um, simple but effective means of managing the tear to their pipe. So if it's something like a burst pressure calculation that only uses length and depth, or it's we also want to identify where we have deepest pits, I think MFL can do a, a decent job of that. The second one, and I think this, this one is really good, is mm -hmm. they mentioned specifically targeting axially aligned corrosion. And I want to read, yeah. so it says the, the vendor will group all features within a two-hour clock position in width and equivalent length, Yeah. right? So what are they getting at there? So the, the, the main takeaway there is it's, um, and, and I'll reference a, a, a good um, piece of publicly known information, and that's what many people call the POF diagram, the Pipeline Operator Forum um, document on ILI. They have this document that has different, it has seven different um, metal loss or seven corrosion morphologies, right? Or not morphologies, but rather, I had to count to verify you okay. You're right. You did good. That's okay. <laughs> seven um, different ways to classify no. corrosion. And the reason why they, they can align... you name all seven? Like you maybe name all six rap people? No, Do you want me to? No. Okay, I can. It's not that hard. <laughs> um, and the point there is it's if you have an actually um, aligned magnetic field and you have an actually oriented metal loss feature, um, the MFL tool will be um, compromised in its ability to um, best describe yep. the length and the maximum depth of that feature. It'll do the width very well, but it can struggle with the length and the so depth. So for me, this is like the rock in the stream, right? Mm -hmm. If the rock is really skinny, like mm -hmm. it's like a, you know, sticking out like a, a sharp mm -hmm. iceberg, the water's just gonna go right around it like a knife and yep. come right and, back. And flux does that, right? Exactly. So if you have something very crack-like, Mm -hmm. There's not enough loss of metal for there to potentially be a flux leakage or one that the sensor can detect. Yep. The flux can actually navigate around it depending on its aperture, its opening, and how long it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So again, you know, one of the things they did is took an extra step of asking the vendor specifically to group those features. The third thing they did was asking the analyst to look for signs of corrosion within corrosion, yes. right? And I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh, but what stands out to me about those last two points, and I want to hit it real loud, and I want to get your thoughts on it, yeah. is in both of those, they collaborated with the vendor. Yes. And for for me personally, I think this is this is important because they didn't go back to the vendor and say, hey, you guys missed the depth of this feature. We had a failure. They went back and looked to develop a solution with the vendor yeah. who has a very deep technical understanding of the technology yeah. and build on it. Your thoughts on that? This gets really complicated really fast. Wow. Like a yeah. whole nother episode type of complicated? Very possibly. Wow. And so this is when we start thinking about things like um, API 1163. Uh, sorry, I maybe ate something that... No, I think Miss Producer just introduced unwanted noise into the, the podcast. I think it was gas. Really? We had another release of gas. I don't know. She's not gonna. She's not. I'm sorry. You need to apologize. I'm after. sorry, Miss Producer. 
I know breakfast. <laughs> breakfast does that to me sometimes oh, man. too. Oh wow. Anyways, um, so yeah, I, I I do think this is complex because this is where 1163 API 1163 comes into play, which is an umbrella document for for really qualifying ILI systems, but it does a lot more than that. Mm. And so what I want to get to is this: is it's we really need to understand the objective of the inspection. And that's one of the things that API 1160 really hones down on is it's we need to understand what we're trying to accomplish definitely another when episode. we perform an inline inspection. So yeah, absolutely. if you were doing a baseline integrity assessment using MFLA and you get all these metal loss features reported, one of the best things you could do is go to the POF diagram and say that gives you different um, lengths and yep. widths to you could classify all these metal loss features into categories and if you have axial slotting axial grooving reported then you need to possibly look at either having a different approach to analyzing your MFLA data like we see in this 2012 IPC paper or you need to look at running a different ILI system. So this gets, you mentioned really complex really quick. That actually builds, I think, a little bit onto the PPIM paper from this year and what TC and Baker Hughes did about looking at specification based on where the features come within the POF that's exactly right. But that, that's absolutely, absolutely yeah. another episode. I think this is a point we're gonna have to, to wrap it up. Otherwise, we'll be on here for an hour. And Miss Producer is already flashing her, um, already flashing her watch at me. So uh, you're gonna probably, you know, bet she's into crawfish. I think you're probably gonna have to bring her some crawfish <laughs> to work. You might have to treat her to crawfish. I don't. Do you eat crawfish? Do you no. eat crawfish? No. Oh, all of our people out there. I bet you the people in Canada are probably like, "What is a crawfish?" And they're out looking right now. It yeah. looks like a miniature lobster. It's like a mini lobster. And I see the grossest thing that we all. It's do got some eat it. super yummy, like yellow oranges stuff. That's the in fat it. that comes yeah. out right as brain. you're boiling. Uh, no, because the brain. So like after you break the tail off, yeah, you right, squish and you the clean the mud off suck, of it. You, you suck all it. the yummy orange oh, yellow stuff. Yes, that's out of the brains. I don't think the brain's actually. No. I think it's what we tell our kids to kind of freak them out. I think we crawfish. tell our kids it's butter. Wow, the yeah, things we tell our kids, butter. and they learn later on. Yeah. You probably tell them too it's vegan, like the more you talk plant based. It's good. Yeah, I don't do that. So, <laughs> so again, on today's episode, just want to recap, right? Uh, the major takeaway from this is number one, a fundamental understanding of how MFL technology works. MFL is the oldest technology, but we continue to learn about it. If you miss some of these papers at conferences, some of them have some really good lesson learned, lessons learned here. In the case of MFL, uh, what, I, what the, the takeaway is, is that it doesn't do well with everything, yes. right? It has some limitations. But there are things you can do though, right? To counteract so, Yes, I like to call it post-ILI engineering, right? Where yep. you're, you're taking activities to understand what the data says, and not just using um, or staying flat on your feet, right? And saying, hey, we normally do B31G calculations. I'll give you another one, for example. Uh, this you, is, you're gonna get into an next I, episode. I'm we telling you. do it. What you're about to tell them is if you're just taking your dig data and running with it, that's not enough, but that's another episode, man. Okay. We don't have, we don't have another 30 minutes. So you, uh, look, if you like this episode, you're gonna need to join us again. Because I get a sense we didn't maybe intend to, but we're about to start getting into what to do with your dig data, how to make sure your tools are mm. running route, running right, and mm. maybe what you can draw or what lessons mm. you should learn, right? And all like, this. what if I only have MFA data? You're going to need to come back to the next edition or episode of Pipeline Things if you want to get the answer to that question for today. Uh, I am your host, Thing20 Rhett Dodson and Thing21 Christopher DeLeon. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review, and we will see you the Wednesday after next. Thank you. Bye.